0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. The title of the message today is simply Deuteronomy 8. And you can probably work out from that uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, We have a, a Bible reading program in our church and we're currently just finishing off the book of Deuteronomy. And I was so struck whenever we read this a couple of weeks ago, reading through this chapter at how much wisdom there is in it. I've really enjoyed the whole book of Deuteronomy lately, but how much wisdom there is in it that absolutely applies itself right to the modern day we will probably confess there are a few things as we read through the Old Testament we feel don't so much apply, like some of the laws and regulations, we don't quite understand them, they're very culturally based, uh, and they don't quite apply to us walking down Mill Road or wherever. But some of these principles here uh, throughout Deuteronomy, and especially in this chapter today, are so applicable. So I want to draw just three principles from the from the reading, from the chapter that will help all of us as uh, we think about the Christian life together. So what principles of the kingdom of God can be learned from Deuteronomy 8? Three of them, here they are. Number one, number one, God is still a God of commandments. I don't know whether you noticed it, but as we read this chapter a short while ago, again and again, God wants to remind them of his commandments. Now, he could have reminded them of any number of things. He could have reminded them of his power, which he does. He could have reminded them of his desire to bless them, which he does. All those things are there. However, there is definitely a running theme, and it runs through the whole book of Deuteronomy, of course, that God is a God of commandments. Now, the reason we need to meditate on this is because in our human nature, it's much more, I don't know, much more easy for us, easier for us, much more palatable for us, to think about a God who just adores us, wakes up in the morning and adores us. And by the way, he does. Or to think about a God who wants to bless us and has made provision for us. And by the way, that's true as well. But yet all the way through this chapter, again and again and again, and I think I counted about five times, God wants to remind them that he is not just a mate upstairs. You know, sometimes you hear people talking about, well, I've, I've just had a word with him upstairs. And then I want to think, who's that? Who are they talking about? Because they mean God. But the God from the Bible is actually a quite terrifying being, a strong and uh, to be feared and to be revered uh, Lord. And he's a God of commandments. We read it here, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in his ways. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees. Verse 19, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify that you will be destroyed. So this is not something that is incidental. God has certain rights upon our lives. God, through Jesus Christ, has purchased us. We do not belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to him. Can you say amen? He has purchased us. And we belong to him. That means you don't belong to any person. You don't belong even to yourself. But you belong to him. And I just want to bring a reminder just from this chapter. In amidst all the other things God says, and we'll come to them now of course. That he is a God of commandments. And people sometimes think that as we pass through from the Old Testament into the New Testament Somehow that all just disappears. And of course, lots of the ritual laws, of course, are now obsolete. But all of those moral laws are still there, thick and strong. It's still wrong to tell lies. Can you say amen? Amen. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong not to honor the name of the Lord. These things are still not things that please the heart of God. Jesus said, I want you to go into the world. I want you to, bring, to make disciples of all nations. And I want you to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so the, the idea that maybe all these sense in which God tells me what to do, that's all in the past. Now I'm in the New Testament where I do my own thing. It's a real myth. Jesus says, I want you to keep my commandments. And he introduces a new commandment. I want you to love each other. Sometimes that's the most difficult commandment of all. How many of you know that it's actually a lot easier to love God than it is to love your neighbor? Have a look at your neighbor now. I mean, you, you will see that to be true. It's a whole lot easier to love God than it is to love the guy next door. It's a whole lot easier to love God than it is to love that irritating person in the church. Don't all look at me. But it is. It's a whole lot easier. So when Jesus gives us a new commandment to love each other, in fact, he's summing up all the commandments. Of course, you cannot love someone you steal from. You cannot love someone that you lie to. You can't love someone and then commit adultery. You can't love someone and be envious of them. See, it's amazing, isn't it, the way the word of God works like that. So let's just be reminded that uh, not to be something which is oppressive, not to be something which is heavy, not to be something which is, which is burdensome and just crushes us down, but there are certain things that God requires of us. And we do not have in the blood of Jesus a get-out-of-jail-free card that says, actually, I can live any way I like to live, and then I'll just come and say sorry uh, at the end of that, you try that with your friend and see if it works, let alone with God. You try that with your friend and see if that's acceptable. It won't be. So grace is amazing, but it doesn't lead to anarchy. Let me ask you this morning, what do you need to change? What the thing, what's, what's the thing in your life that you need to change? What's the thing that you are in some involvement? You have some involvement you have that you know that you know, you don't need you don't need a special word to tell you. You know in your heart this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be doing this. And if there's something in your heart that says, you know what, there there is a distance between me and God's ways. First of all, I want to congratulate you for having a soft heart because there were a few people in the room that said, well, there's nothing. But I want to to say to you today, do it his way. Do it his way. Keep his way. And you'll find that blessing will come to your life. Number two, we learn, first of all, he's a God of commandments. Number two, we learn that there's a reason why things sometimes go so horribly wrong in our lives. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, this is what God says. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert. These 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. That's an amazing thought. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 5, Know then in your hearts that as a man disciplines his son. So the Lord your God disciplines you. It's an extraordinary piece of the Bible. If you are someone who underlines your Bible, you must have surely verse 2 underlined in your Bible because it's a life principle that that you will need. Verse 16, he says, He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Here we discover an amazing truth about God. We find something out. Why did the people of Israel spend 40 years going round in circles in the desert? Now, I believe there are lots of answers to that question. One of them could be, well, you know, they let, you know, uh, they turned the sat-nav off and they went by their feelings or whatever, or they... Or turned they turned the sat-nav on and it wasn't regularly downloaded and they ended up in Swanage. There's all sorts of reasons why they ended up in that time. But here's one of them. Here's, here's the reason from God's perspective. He said this. The reason I took you through that valley time, that wandering aimlessly time. God says, I wanted to test you and see what was in your heart? I think we're all mature enough to know that in our greatest day, our day of joy, our day of blessing, the day when all the bills can be paid, the day when you come out of the MOT and you passed, and you think, that just cannot, that cannot be true. The day when you go to the dentist and he says, your teeth are fine. You think, no, no, you're having a laugh. The day when a tax return comes back or when your mobile phone company writes to you and says, we've been overcharging you, here's 88 pounds. Let me just wake up a minute. The day when life is good. The day when life is good. How many of us know, we're mature enough, aren't we, to know that that is not the day to test our hearts. To know what kind of person we are. No. The the time to find out what kind of person you are is when difficulty comes, when opposition comes, when struggles are there, when you don't know how you're going to make this work when you don't know how the money's going to work, when you don't know how this relationship is going to work, that's the time when we find out who we are. Is that right? Isn't that the time? What was it that Satan wanted to achieve in the life of Job? To test his character. How did he do that? First of all, he caused trouble for his family. But that wasn't enough. He goes back to the Lord and says this, let me just touch his, let me just touch his body. Then we'll find out what he's like. Then we'll find out who he is. How many of you know that sometimes you're quite a different person when you're ill than when you're well? It's true. And can I say this? And I, I just want to make a little appeal here today. We need to, as a community of people together, we need to be a little bit patient with people who are in pain all the time. Because they are living a different life to you. They are living a different kind of day to you. Satan said, if I can make him ill, we'll find out who he really is. So when we become ill, we'll find out who we really are. Or when we can't pay the bill we find out who we really are or when you get a phone call please come your your child at school so there's there's a problem in that moment that's that's who we are right that's who we really are deep down inside that person And sometimes, let me just say this, sometimes we pass the test and lots of times we fail the test. I'm not even suggesting today we were always going to pass such a test as that. When a tiny stone flew off the A14, circling in the air, looked for a car to strike and beheld mine and flew at it and hit the top of my windscreen and left the tiniest of cracks, enough to fail my MRT. And I took it to the wonderful garage where they promised we could do miracles here. Yeah, we'll just give it a little suck and it'll all be gone. Could they? No. How much of the screen? Well, that'll be 300. Do you know what? As I left the garage, do you know, do you know I did not sing... Oh, happy day. (laughs) Sometimes we pass, sometimes we fail. But listen, this is why God allows these things. Sometimes people come and they say, you know, I've decided that there cannot be a God, there cannot be a Jesus because I'm having such a rough time. No, sometimes Jesus allows us to go through the desert to st- so we can see who we are. He said, I wanted to humble you to see what was really in your heart. If a bucket is full of liquid and you kick it, it is not the kicking that put the liquid in the bucket, it was already there, it oozes out. What will happen to you when you're kicked? What oozes out of you? Because that's sort of who you really are. And that's what God sometimes wants to show you. Sometimes I've gone through difficulties, and actually, can I just say something a bit more positive, actually? Sometimes I've gone through difficulties, and I've gone through them optimistically. I've gone through them faith-filled, and I've found out that that is inside me. And so have you. Other times we go through difficulties and we become gloomy and grumpy and depressed and hopeless. All we're doing is finding out what's really inside us. So we can come to God and say, oh Lord, do you know what? After all that singing, after all all that declaration, I realize that it's not really gone deep in me yet. Please, Lord, let it go much deeper in me. I've met people in my pastoral capacity who have been knocked out for six by a parking ticket. And that's it. They are knocked out. And I've met other people that have survived survived the death of their husband because their life is on the rock. And when the problem comes, what often happens? is when the opposition and the problems come, we turn and we look to see if we can run towards the rock, but we actually should already be on the rock when the problem comes. And the people who survive, the people who are strong in their spirit, are those who live on the rock. And as Jesus said, when the wind and the waves come, their house, battered though it is, does not fall. Others live on sand and problems quickly destroy their life. Number three. Number one, he's he's still a God of commandments. He still has things to say to us. And he's speaking maybe to some of us today to repent and to put things right. Don't live like some lukewarm Christian and think you're hot. Live the truth, be hot. Number two, we discover from this chapter that as we go through difficulties, it's actually permitted by God so we can find out who we are. Sometimes we don't like to find that out. I know I don't. And number three, finally, we discover that if we don't praise, we get proud. Look at verse 10. God says this to them. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied... Praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful, he says, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Come down to verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power, the strength of my hands has done this, produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It's he who gave you the ability to produce the wealth. God wants to say to the miss, he says, you're not just going to go through the difficult times. It's not just the difficult times that are going to be difficult. Actually, the good times are going to be difficult too. Because when you go through good times, there could be a real danger that you will forget the Lord. When a national crisis occurs, and I'm mindful of the anniversary date we are remembering today, of a terrible disaster in America. When a national crisis occurs, do you know what happens in churches? You know, don't you? Just for a few weeks, the statistics go up. All of a sudden, maybe not so much churches, independent churches like this, but lots of churches are just full of people. Because suddenly, life has become bad, and people have been driven to seek God. Well, of course, Thank God that the gospel is effective in those, in those ways. Thank God for any time when people choose to seek God. But what happens is after a few weeks, those statistics go back to normal. What does that suggest to us? It suggests to us that when life is bad, people seek God. And when life is good, people do not seek God. And that can actually be true for us. I believe there are occasions when the only time a Christian prays during the whole of the day is when they are looking for a parking space. God has had no part of your life at all until you are driving down Norfolk Street and you have got to get to the doctors. Where is there a space? Oh Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And all of a sudden, who are you? The most devout believer in the whole of Cambridge. Taking authority over the evil spirits of cars. Suddenly, when we need something, that's the point. When we need something, we go and seek God. But God does not want to be a God who only has our attention when we have needs. Can you say amen? That's not who he is. He's our father. There are plenty of parents today who don't hear from their children, their, their you know, grown-up children, and suddenly the phone rings, and it's your daughter or your son, and you know, don't you, Dad? You know, don't you, mum? The reason why they're calling you. Yeah, I, I just need 90 quid. Could you just put it in my account? Suddenly they need you. That's not how we are to be with God, is it? God says to them, when all things are going well for you, you're going to forget me. It's almost like it's like, like a promise. It's almost like it's a scientific fact. He says, when you build your houses and you're happy, you're going to forget me. And you're going to say, look what we've done. And God wants to say to them, but remember, it was me that gave you the ability to go and do that. One of the things I've cultivated in my life, I never have pretended to be a a tremendous Christian. I've never pretended that, not here and not anywhere. And I'm aware of my own shortcomings and my own failures. I'm very aware of them and I certainly don't try to put on any kind of act about that. But there is something that I have cultivated over my life. And those who know me very close will know that, that it's true. I've always wanted to give God the glory for everything. I've always wanted to thank God for everything. If something has gone well, I want to thank God. I want to thank God. Now do you know what? There are times when Maybe what i 'm thanking God for he hasn 't even done for me, but let me give you an example I mean got some terrible migraine, and there I reach for that wonderful gift of God, ibuprofen or paracetamol or whatever it is, and within an hour, I feel better. I would say, "Lord, thank you for that." Now you know that if I got up and testified to that on the street, someone would shout over to me that wasn 't God you're not." better because of God, you're better because of boots. You're better because of super drug. But you know, it's immaterial to me that, because I want to thank God for everything, for everything. And I want to, I want us to cultivate this as a as a church together. Let's thank God for everything. It doesn't have to be a grade A miracle for you to thank God for it. If I feel good in any given day, Lord, I just want to thank you for that. I'm not suggesting that in the night the angel Gabriel came down and touched me in some miraculous way. Do you know what? Even if I watch a great program on TV, I thank God for it. I do. Now some of you are thinking, now no, that's not God. Or maybe it isn't. But I want to thank God for it. And God says to them this. He says, if you will thank me, if you will praise me, if you will remember me, it's going to go well for you. But as soon as you say, I've done this. This is what I've done. I deserve this. It's because of my skills or my hard work or my money that this has happened. God says, you're beginning to forget me. You're going to grow proud. You're going to grow proud. Let me encourage you. All throughout your day, all throughout, every good and perfect gift is from above. Jesus said, all good things around us are sent from heaven above. They are. And I don't believe that when I get to heaven, God will say to me, can I just have a word with you? I think perhaps son. You overthanked me on earth. You remember that headache you had? You took those pills. That wasn't me. He's not going to say that. Members of my family are currently experiencing medical care. I'm not interested to get some great testimony out of it. I just want to thank God if they're better. Whether it's medicine or whether it's miracle it matters not to me I want to thank God for it I want to thank God for health and strength and for my the clothes I'm standing in some of you may not but I want to thank I want to thank God for all things God says remember me remember me you managed to get that job well thank God for it they tell you they don't want you well thank God for that can you say amen And when you go through a difficulty, you say, Lord, I want to thank you because you're going to get me out of this. I want to thank you, although I can't see the way through now. Everything's going to be okay. I want to thank you. May the Lord help us to live in, in these ways. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church,